Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, we're going to switch the intro up a little bit this week. I got a little special treat for you guys from my son um, with a, a special song called Deer Steak. Uh, hope you enjoy it. Go ahead. Deer Steak, oh Deer Steak. It's the very best you can eat. Deer Steak, eek, eek. Deer Steak, Deer Steak. It's the best you can eat. It's the best you can eat. Mm-hmm. It's the best you can eat. It's the best you can eat. Eat, eat. What's the, the best you can eat? Deer steak. Deer steak. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Vertex Outdoors. I am here with my good buddy, Mitch Demko. Um, we went to college together, uh, hunted together in college, and he is, uh, he's on it. I'm just going to let him share a little bit about himself. And... So, <clears throat> what do you want to know? Uh, I guess just get your background. I mean, a little bit of your, we'll hit your hunting style, because um, we're here outside of Lancaster in the Denver area. Yep. So, I started hunting, um... I think the first 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 hunting trip we ever went on was in North Carolina, and uh, I was telling you earlier that we uh, we got down there. We had a three day hunt, and on the last day, we my pop and I, in the last seven minutes of the last last day, we shot six deer. So it was uh, <clears throat> it got me hooked pretty quick, um, but most of my time was taken up by uh, by sports. So I, I hunted every year and, and got, um, I believe I got a buck every year from 12 years old on to 18. Um, nothing, nothing crazy, just the typical PA hunter buck. Um, I actually kind of <clears throat> don't like how nonchalantly you say that. <laughs> I hunted like nine years just for the first one. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. It, it was all my, my dad did all the work for me. I mean, I, I, I didn't scout. He would hang the stands. Half the time, I wouldn't even gut them. He would come and do it for me, because I was just so limited on time. Every every Saturday was taken up by some kind of sport. <clears throat> so I reaped the benefits of my dad's hard work. But I was learning from him the whole time, and I never really thought that um, hunting would turn into the passion that it did. Um, it's kind of now that sports are done and college is done, and I. We're a one-income family, and Ashley stays at home. We 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 need the meat, and I figured that I might as well just go all in while I can on some some sport, and that it turned into archery. So, <clears throat> I've been I took off a few years in college um, just because I couldn't get home, and then as soon as I got married, I was I was in deep. And I think you and I, when we first met, that's what kind of kicked it off because I didn't have any friends. That oh, that's hunted, definitely really. what did it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and it kind of got the niche. And I remember being with you when you bought that diamond. At, it was Cabela's, right? Uh, yeah, I think, I think you bought that Cabela's. Cabela's yeah. yeah. And uh, so that kind of got me going. And then as soon as we got married, I was I was into it. Right, I, I think it was like three or four weeks before we uh, Ash and I got married. I said, before we get married, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything to this bow that I can. <laughs> Because I don't want you getting upset at me throwing six or seven hundred bucks at my bow, and I had a diamond black ice at the time, and I changed every single thing but the riser, and uh, 
<clears throat> so one thing led to another, and now in the last two or three years, when I finally got started getting selective on my bucks, um, I became a gearhead, and I can't get enough of it. <laughs> Actually, that I'd like to hit on that before we hop into actual gear and stuff like that. Um, it's, I guess, a little bit fascinating that you're able to balance. Like, you're definitely a meat hunter, and... But yet, you're to a point where you're like, I'm going to go after a little bit more of a quote-unquote quality class bike. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I, I think it's because of the area we live in. So you, you don't get the benefits that I do down here. But 5C, it's, you can pull tags like candy. So for, so for me, I can, I can pull, like this year, I have, I have six tags. I have two DMAP tags because of the CWD that hit down here, which has been ridiculous i i don't we haven't had another uh cwd case since the first one in the cage which was the the case was found a mile and i could or, or mile a and a half farm. yeah mile yeah. and a half from here we could walk there in 15 minutes um but it's allowed me the ability to shoot a bunch of dough and fill our freezer and not feel so crappy when at the end of the year i'm eating my i'm eating my buck tag right. um I haven't yeah, had so to... it, it's it's mostly based on your just your plethora of, uh, of opportunities. Tags. Yeah, <laughs> if I didn't have that, <clears throat> I think I'd still be picky, just because of where I've like where the the amount of bucks that I've shot up to this point. It, it it's kind of made me realize out <clears throat> the itch that I got after shooting my big buck is like. The, like a, a, a like a regular class buck I say regular not in a prideful way but um, I, I want the big ones and they're hard to find which kind of is tough it adds a different aspect of yeah. uh, like you're hunting within the hunt yeah right so like I, I still get I shake like a I mean I shake like a leaf uh, the doe I shot two weeks ago I, I like sitting in my tree stand freaking out um but man, when that big, like when a big buck comes in, one that's a shooter, it's a whole, especially when you have a backstory with them, you got trail cameras, you've had encounters, it's, it's a whole nother level. So, yeah, <clears throat> it's been, uh, it, the transition hasn't been easy. I actually let a, uh, a buck walk. Um, so I shot my, my buck two years ago, the year before that, which actually, I guess, since people don't know, that's a Pope and Young. Yeah, yeah. So he scored one, one thirty nine and one thirty nine and a half, with a twenty two inch uh, inside spread. So yeah. I shot him three blocks from here. Um, <clears throat> but the year before that, is when I said to Ash, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be picky this year. I want I want something that I can actually put on the wall and be like, I'm proud of that buck. And uh, I hunted back at my dad's house back in the Poconos. And uh, I was I, I had to pee, so I, I pee out of the stand. That that could be another stop <laughs> topic. Some guys pee in bottles. I, I I've seen too many cases where I'll actually pee on a scrape, um, and and I've seen deer go crazy over it. Um, but I was in the stand and I saw like maybe a I don't know 105, 110 class buck, something like that. And I <clears throat> up to that point had only seen one or two deer in the stand that big. So I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, do I pull back on this deer? Do I not? And I was like, I'm not going to shoot it. 
And then he smelled me and bolted. And as soon as I saw the back of his rack, I was like, what did I just do? <laughs> that would have been the biggest buck I ever shot up until that point. They always look better going away. I know. <laughs> it's like there goes 50, 60 pounds of meat. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been crazy, the transition. It's been fun. It's made it's made the sport of hunting. Um, the allure of it has gone up because it's such a challenge. You can't shoot. I mean, you can, but if, if you want that backstory with a buck, you can't do that just by yeah. getting in the woods and not doing your homework. You can get lucky to an extent, right? But to do it on a consistent basis, yeah. you got to put. Yeah, put it's work not possible. In. So. <clears throat> Yeah, I guess, um, actually, if you want to dive a little more into, like, the area that you hunt now, because, yeah. what, Pocono area, back at your dad's, that's more kind of mountains and... That's, like, where it's almost identical. Yeah, I would say identical. Much, you might have some more fields than I do. Pretty consistent to most of, most of what Pennsylvania is. Yeah. So, um, down here is, a, is, is something completely different um, for a lot of reasons. Um, public land is really not a huge option. In Lancaster County, um, the the Mennonites and Amish really hone in on it, and when they hunt, a lot of times they're just putting on drives, and they're not sitting and waiting. So they're educating deer, and and it causes public land to die out much quicker than like that where you are yeah. or where where I'm from. Um, so when I moved down here, <clears throat> I didn't have any private land. And the public land, like I said, wasn't a big option, um, so I had to relearn how to hunt. Yeah. So pretty well, public land. Any any deer that's actually smart's going nocturnal. Yeah, they're done. Yeah. Like there's really not a chance. Unless you you're like the best stalk hunter and you know where they're bedded. Um, but yeah, I had to relearn how to hunt. Um, back home, we're talking big woods. Game lands back home is a few th- few thousand acres. Yeah. Here it's like. I got 10 acres here, five acres there, and the first two years of hunting, every plot that I was hunting was in town. So I was suburban bow hunting. I mean, I could shoot people walking their dogs. But at the same time, because of the the pressure from the hunters in this area, it pressed a lot of deer. Into a smaller Correct, yep. Um, Um... not not to cut you short, but I guess to hop back a little bit, because you do have quite a few small properties, were those just a matter of knocking on doors or through just through somehow got connected with them? Yeah, so <clears throat> what I do is I use Onyx, and then what, uh, so I'm doing my homework, so I'll look at maps, and I'll try and see, I, I want, what I'm honing in on is I want to find swamps, and I, I want to find funnels. That's what I hunt. A lot of people hunt bedding areas. I, I try to stay away from bedding areas. Uh, me personally, I know there's tons of benefits for guys, but it's just I wasn't raised doing it. Um, but swamps in this, when there's small little acreage, um, deer love swamps because what they'll do is they'll find the high spot in that swamp and they know that nothing can get to them without making any noise or without them being able to be seen. Um, but the way that I was finding properties was I'd go on Onyx, figure out who the owner was, um, and to give away a little secret. <clears throat> In today's day and age, people don't like their doors being knocked on by strangers. <laughs> so I, I, 
I'm not an advocate of it. What I'll do is I'll actually send out letters, um, a heartfelt letter just explaining oh, okay. my situation. Yeah. I'll let them know that my uh, main purpose in hunting their property is to provide meat for my family. And at this point, in the last three years, I've probably sent out 25 letters. I've had replies from probably 10 to 15. And then I've gotten, I just, this year from that, I sent a letter to a guy in Philly who owns an investment property here and I got a hundred acres. So it gave me a huge smart. amount. And then real where I shot my buck last year uh, is actually a guy from my church who allowed me to, to hunt his property along with one other guy in our church, which is about 30 acres. Yeah, which is cool. So, I mean, a lot of it's really like it's not not a scenario where you're getting special access. Like it's no. like even though it's not public land, it's <clears throat> anybody can can write a letter. Oh, absolutely. Like if 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 I would have been beaten to it on this hundred acre property, if someone would have sent a letter a week before I did, I wouldn't have the land I would have. Yeah. So it's you got to figure out. <clears throat> Keep an eye on what culture likes, because <laughs> they don't they don't like strangers at their door. So and I don't want to call them either, because it's like, how did you get my number? Yeah. So you send them that letter. It gives them time to think it through, and really think through what you wrote on that letter. And at the very least, they're more inclined to reply to you, which at least opens a door for two right. years down the right. line. Hey, do you remember me? I wrote you a letter before. So. Yeah. Not. I guess if you want to hop back into some of your you don't need to give away all your strategy some of that needs to be kept i think but i guess whatever you're you're willing to share i guess is it possible to break down anymore like you're just relearning the hunt i mean i know you said about honing in on swamps and stuff like that but <clears throat> i guess um maybe you can share the process of arriving at that or like was it something you discovered on your own or just listening to podcasts or yeah so or, um, so the way it, it came about when I moved down here, I learned pretty quick that there wasn't big, big land to hunt, um, which is, I mean, I listen to countless podcasts and I know there's some people who are just strictly suburban bow hunters. Um, like I was telling you about that Seek One Productions, those guys um, who are hunting in Atlanta, they're, uh, I mean, they're hunting small little patches of woods. Um, there's another guy who's... Uh, only a, a a harness hunter and oh, like uh, a tree saddle a tree saddle yeah. and uh he he's hunting two three acres so <clears throat> i when i moved down here i was like well what am i gonna do i i don't know how to hunt here i don't have land to hunt here so i started to find um some plots of land from some bigger corporations they don't care that you hunt you call their offices they'll send you to someone he'll be like yeah it doesn't matter to me um <clears throat> and then it was because I'm a huge proponent of hunting wind. Um, a, a lot of times I won't even step in a stand. Yeah, you're you're religious about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I know not everyone is like that, but to me, you could go in, if the wind is consistent. Like if you have a consistent six, seven, eight mile an hour wind, and you've put your stand in the proper spot where, like for instance, the one where I shot my big buck, I had a huge bank going up to the turnpike yeah. so there was no way that they could get behind me if i have a consistent win i could go in there and with cologne on and they're yeah. never going to yeah. know i'm there yeah. <clears throat> as long as the thermals that aren't it, all well, weird i guess that's some of the nice part i mean obviously it, you 
very rarely will get busted in a scenario right. like that. It's only if thermals are not cooperating the way that you initially think. But there's a lot of money saved in the uh, the scent control. Oh, product. I still like, get into it. Well, yeah, I know you do. <laughs> but but uh, like the hunting public guys, they don't use. They strictly hunt wind. Don't use any scent control. Yep. Um, which does, you know, it does bust them in, in some of their videos and stuff that you get to see. It's just, you know, we obviously you like to go the extra mile. I, I go the extra mile and yeah. just take every precaution that you can. Yeah. But, I mean, I, <clears throat> my clothes are hung out. I, I, I hang my stuff outside, so I'll wash it and scent free and then I'll hang it outside and then it'll be sitting out for three to four weeks before the season and then my rule of thumb is the clothes that I wear, if I didn't shoot a deer, go back out on the railing and then it's getting, um, it's going to get basically cycled out. So I have two sets yeah. of camo. So I'll wear one. Yeah. So it's still getting <clears throat> aired out. It's just not yep. actually getting clean. Yeah. Entirely. I don't, I can't merit washing my clothes that much. Hope you do your underwear. <laughs> I don't wear any. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, but, <clears throat> yeah, it's the transition It because of, like I said, I mean, you grew up as an athlete. Um, for me, going from one college as an athlete to another another college as an athlete, I needed that, that sport to, to push me. Um, I wanted something to put my focus on that I could hone in and, I mean – wishful thinking one day perfect which is impossible but i'm always going to chase that and yeah. <clears throat> that's what led me into um like how do i how do i how do i become more accurate what is the best gear how can i set my stand the right way how can i approach my stand the right way how can i ask for permission better like all of these things play a part so becoming a better hunter even if you're on big land or little land Becoming a better hunter is is fifteen different things. It's not it's not oh man, once I get this land, I, I'll get a giant buck. Yeah. No, once it you get that land, that you gotta way. learn yeah. how to scout. Yeah. You gotta learn how to to set time aside before the season and after the season and during the season and be willing to go the extra mile. And that that's what I think <clears throat> has allowed me to harvest here successfully in an area that I, I didn't know anything about five years ago yeah um so is there anything more so like when you're scouting a small property you're going in you're walking in first time boots on the ground walking in naturally checking trails if they're depending on the time of year you're in there looking for rubs or yeah. scrapes or anything like that uh setting some trail <clears throat> like what's your like from there, you just watch, you're just watching trail cameras to try and figure out a pattern as far as travel corridors or. Yeah, so I, mean, I guess like it's tough. It's, you know, with a small property, there's not much there's to only it. So much I, that can yeah. be done. Um, to be honest, I didn't start using trail cameras until last year, or two years ago. When uh, the the year that I shot my big buck was the year, the first year I used a trail camera because my mom got me one for Christmas. Because um, you're cheap. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> The only reason I Which have I the only reason I have four or five of them at this point is because my dad had leftovers and so he didn't want to use them, or else I'd still just be using one trail camera. Um, hey, <clears throat> and I'll say it too: it's not about the expensive cameras. 
I use forty, fifty dollar oh, cameras. Yeah. All you need if is it a takes picture. a photo. All you need yeah. is a picture, so picture, yeah. date, time, yep. and then you can look up wind direction and all that from there. That's one thing I, I wanna hone in on more is because I, I don't utilize trail cameras enough. I utilize it to know what's on the property and then I don't go any further. Sure. Which is something I need to work on. Um, but as far as scouting, <clears throat> trail cameras have played a role now, for sure. Um, but the number one thing when I'm going onto a property, the, the one thing I want to know is, are they betting on the property? And, and once I know that, then I want to start looking towards the bigger picture. Where, if they're betting here, where's the feed? And <clears throat> what I'm going to do is, the way, I, the, the way that I hunt is I want to place myself directly in between where they bed and where they're going. Sure. So those travel corridors. So and if, in, in a scenario, if they're not bedding there, then it's just the reverse. Like you're, it's okay, right. they're obviously feeding here on acorns or whatever. Yep. Yep. Where are they coming and, from? Yeah, and I have some properties where they don't even bed down. They just, they go right through the property and that's it. Um, which those are a little harder to hunt. But yeah, the, the number one thing for me is if I can find bedding, it allows me to get that bigger picture of where is the travel corridor and the thing that I love to do, because those travel corridors, you're going to have four or five trails, like smaller trails meet in the one. Right. Well, you set your stand up 15 yards from there on the right wind, it's it's a little poke and it's a sure thing. They're not going to get around you. There's no other trails. Right. So, I mean, <clears throat> I want to put the odds in my favor against an animal that has... 20 whatever how many times more the senses than what i have so and then i guess another question would be so if you're let's say you're on one of these small properties that's the only property you have permission to you don't know like the bedding's not on that property are you, yep. are you using on x you're using on x to then try and locate <clears throat> basically through the aerial views best best beddings <clears throat> um yeah so i'll i'll try to that's where trail cameras play a role because I can see what time they're going yeah, somewhere and, yeah. wh and wh when they're moving and stuff like that. Um, a lot of times, what I've come to find is, so like the spot where I shot my big buck, the, the one side of the property is a uh, public park and then the public park goes into private land. So I can go on that public park and see a little bit more. I won't hunt it, but it lets me give a bigger, better picture. Um, the one thing that I found is, especially in this area, I don't know what it's like statewide, countrywide, whatever, um, is that a lot of people are willing to let you on your their property, just not for hunting. Right. So if you want a bigger picture, like for me, the one end of the property is a cattle farm. So what I did was I went up to the guys uh, sell some produce and stuff like that. I met him the one day and said to him, do you let anyone hunt here? He says, yeah, my boys hunt here. So I'm thinking, how do I get on his property to get that bigger picture? Well, I say, do you care if I would shed hunt? Yeah, I don't care if you shed hunt. What, like, what's that yeah, affect me? basically going for a hike. Yeah. So, so <clears throat> if, if you need the bigger picture, just go up to someone. And then what it does is, again, two, three years down the, the line, oh, yeah, you're the guy that shed hunts my property. Right. Maybe yeah. you want to hunt it now. So you got to think big picture, not just here and now. So it's, it's, uh, it's tough. I mean, I gaining, it, a, gaining access now is just, it's, see, it's, it's fascinating because like, obviously where I'm at right now, I mean, 
That's your scenario from the Poconos. Like, yeah, I get, I am privy to a small portion of private property. Um, but that's the, like, it's actually more rare that I hunt that. So mine's public access and thousands of acres of, yeah. of state forests. So it's, uh, and I'm sure there's, I mean, obviously there's cities all across Pennsylvania. So lots of people can relate to what you're dealing with. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, I know there's lots of people out there that are just like, man, I love to hunt. The game lands suck. Yeah. So where do I go from here? So, um, well, that's the vast majority of my friends in this area are, they leave yeah. every weekend. They're going up to cabins. Going elsewhere. I mean, they'll still hunt here, but their confidence level here, it just diminishes. So I have guys who are are driving up um, to the area by uh, Cabela's. Yeah. Um, They'll go up there because the game lands up there, starts to get bigger, and they know they have better options. And And the hunting pressure is a lot lower, or at least per square mile it's lower. It might be the same amount of hunters. So it's just uh yeah it's kind of neat because like i mean as i you know as we continue to hunt and kind of grow older in this like it's definitely a you can't rule out that there's deer or even big deer somewhere until you actually are able to get in there and investigate it um like i used to (laughs) for whatever reason i used to not believe that there was that like big bucks in in the mountains yeah until until, you shot your 160 until, until i've seen lots of yeah, I shouldn't say lots, but I've seen enough that I can count on two hands. Well, I've seen the the I I checked your I'm not a Facebooker, as 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 you might call it. Yeah, I kept um, but, I kept you in the loop though. But I was on I was on there after your last podcast and saw the the trail camera photos that that one guy had around that one stump or whatever it was. Yeah, that's I mean there's three or four shooter bucks there, so they're they're there. It's just yeah. It's just a matter. Of, it's just a matter of putting in the work. And, <clears throat> and that at PA we do have, I think we're the number one state for hunters, aren't we? Per square mile. I know. At one point we. Yeah, we, I don't know if, if we're we still not are. anymore. We definitely were at one point, which was a short time ago. So. I definitely and then it, like I want to hunt other states. But I don't know how much I want to go through, like learning a new area. It's taken me three years to get on deer that I want to hunt. Yeah, well, I, I think you'll progress, though, as, like, as you key in on that. Yeah. You'll be, like, you'll hit a point where it's just, like, okay, I got it. Yep. Let's go somewhere else and do it. I mean, I I'd think like to hunt Michigan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, upper Peninsula. Yeah, so I guess we'll shift gears. Um, dude, you got experience everywhere, so we'll shift gears. You're <laughs> in the, uh, I don't know, you. I, well, in college, we constantly were amongst ourselves i wouldn't say we would debate within ourselves but we would always put fixed blade up against mechanical broadheads yeah and, and put them to the test that way and um i think we've both kind of sh- i don't want to say we've shifted but we've tested both sides of the water i think you've hopped hopped back and forth a little bit more than i have so i'm kind of curious to to hear your inputs i mean in college we would both shoot and fixed blade and then afterwards you switch to yep what was it nap kill zone yep and then just recently switched back so if you want to <clears throat> i some people probably get sick of hearing about it yeah but i, I don't find get it sick fa- of talking about i find it. it fascinating like it's you know it doesn't you know all all broadheads at this point 
are good. They'll all kill an it's, animal. It's just a matter of what fits your shooting style yep. and preferences a little better. So I'm kind of curious to hear um, some of your insights. Yeah, so <clears throat> I just went, actually, right before this season, um, did a pretty, pretty significant amount of broadhead testing. Um, I shot fixed blades because my dad is old school and is under the impression that if there's a moving part, it can't be as good. Um, so we always shot whisker biscuits and we always shot fixed blades. And uh, he always shot the Nap Thunderheads, which is like the most popular broadhead ever made. Yeah. Um, so we, I grew up shooting those and basically it, we, it was under the premise that if it isn't broke, don't fix it. Um, so once I got out of college and started looking into hunting a little more, I wanted to try some new stuff. I wanted to make hunting my own. Um, so <clears throat> I started looking around and I found, um, I was shooting the Magnus Buzzcut Stingers. And the reason I did that specifically was because there was a lifetime warranty and I was a college kid on a budget. So if I lost, if I shot that broadhead and it messed up, I just send it back in. Then you turned another college kid who was also on a budget. Yeah, you. Too. Yeah. <laughs> and they're good broadheads. Um, I think Uncle Ted's the one that turned me on to him yeah. first. Yep, he was shooting them when I got into it. Yeah. So I think he shoots. Uh, He's a muzzies. muzzy guy. Yeah, you know, muzzies. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I uh, I started fiddling. And I think that was like the first step in me realizing that I was a gearhead. I just enjoy, I want to know as much as possible about like all the newest stuff. Um, so I went Magnus and then um, at that point I didn't realize the importance of a tuned bow. And I actually missed a doe with those Magnus because my arrow whipped in the air. And I was thinking to myself, that's it. I'm done with fixed blade. If that's going to cause me to not hit a deer, I don't want anything to do with these. So watching bowhunting.com, um, I saw after four or five seasons, they were shooting these NAPs and having a ton of success. Now, obviously, I don't know how many that, that messed up that they didn't show. Um, but I... Uh, I switched to the NAP kill zones, kept those for two or three years. That's what I shot my big buck with. Never had a failure, um, but I, I didn't have uh, any pass-throughs. So that, that was a little bit, uh, it, it kind of threw up some flags to me. And <clears throat> I started to think about fixed blades, but every time I, I was like, man, that Magnus just whipped. I don't, like, are, yeah. are all fixed blades like this? And as I started to learn more and more about archery, I started to realize there's a lot of broadheads out there that can fly like a field point. Um, so this summer, I actually, uh, and I was saying to you earlier, uh, to the, to the uh, dismay of my wife, spent countless, 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 countless hours looking at fixed blade broadheads and what people have to say about them and basically taking down mental notes as to which ones kept popping up as the, the winners. Um, and what it seemed like, now I realize the list could be way more exhaustive than this, um, but I, I tried the Ramcats, the originals. Then I tried the Ramcat, um, there's one that has like smaller blades. I, I, I forget what they're called. Tried the QAD Exodus, and I tried the Trophy Taker Shuttle T-Locks. 
And uh, what I was going for specifically, because everyone was saying they were getting pass-throughs, um, everything, everyone was saying that the durability was okay. Uh, to me, it was, I wanted accurate accuracy because of what happened with that Magnus. And uh, so I, I shot for, uh, each broadhead. I would go out probably two, three times a week and shoot these broadheads next to field points and just take mental notes, which one's doing the right thing. And it ended up being that the QAD and the Shuttle T were my last two. And then I was going back to 80 yards because at 60 yards, they were smacking the same spot. Yeah. So I'm 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 cutting hairs here trying yeah. to decide which one is the best one. Yeah. So you're you're shooting at 80 yards, not because you're going to shoot at a deer, but like uh-uh. you're, you're just looking to to separate the pack. Right. No, I I practice at 80 yards so that when a deer's at 20 yards, it's like hitting a, the yeah. broadside of a barn with a baseball. Um, and if I mess up, it's my fault. It's not not my gear's fault. Um, so I ended up that I, I made the switch from the NAPs over to the shuttle tees. Um, I was hitting a baseball size dot with the shuttle tees and I was hitting like a pie plate with the QADs. So that's, I made that's a significant difference. Yeah. I, I mean, like you said, I'm not ever shooting at a deer at 80 yards, but the only problem is, is that I, I'm, I started to read a little bit more on these shuttle tees and, um, the, the name of him is slipping me, but he's one of the best elk hunters in the country. Uh, he bought Trophy Taker, Trophy, Trophy, Trophy Taker, Trophy Ridge, whatever one it is, and then just recently sold it. I don't know how long ago. And then all of the uh, manufacturing went overseas. And I've uh, noticed that so the shifted the quality. Yep. So I've noticed that the shuttle tees are not as sharp as I would like in a broadhead. So. That's where I ended. I'm I'm not opposed to mechanical by any means. I just really like two holes always. And if I can get field point accuracy and the two holes and that durability, to me it's like I go back to what my dad always said. If there's less moving parts, there is always less chance of failure. Right. But, I mean, like we said earlier, mechanical broadheads have gone so far... Oh, yeah. Well, the the, the failure is essentially removed, which used to be kind of the age-old argument is that, oh, well, what if the blades don't deploy? Yeah. As long as you're meeting the kinetic energy, uh, I guess, requirements for the particular broadhead, um, that's not really an issue that's around anymore. Uh, Right. Some people would disagree with you. I'm I'm sure. but. But for the most part, yes. Broadside deer... 20 yards, yeah. you have a proper bow, you have a proper setup, that thing's going to go off. It doesn't matter if you shoot a Grim Reaper or if you shoot a Rage or an NAP. They're all going to leave a big hole in the side of that deer. Right. And if it doesn't die, it's probably yeah, going to be Well, I you. guess that's actually the interesting part of the debate is it usually comes down to more of side of caution in terms of, like, which way you air. So if you hit further back... You want the bigger cutting diameter, obviously more right. blood flow, that sort of thing. Or if you drift a little forward, hit that shoulder, fixed blade generally is going to pound right through it. Some, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's mechanicals out there that will, depending on the poundage you're shooting in. Well, that's like that. I was telling you earlier, that, that guy, um, what was his last name, Bomar. Is that... Oh, Josh Bomar. Yeah, yeah so th- those broadheads that he's shooting, the mechanicals. 
those mechanicals made me change my mind um, because I, I saw him shoot those into a Cape Buffalo through the rib and it sunk a, uh, an FMJ. Now, needless, uh, well, he was shooting a 750 grain arrow, so that's like shooting a baseball bat through the through the air. Um, but those broadheads, they but they, and I mean, in, in that along that line of thought, would inflict more damage to a, a broadhead into a cinder block. Right. <clears throat> and then um, that same, I wish I could think of the name. I cannot think of it. Um, but, uh, I'm going to try and look it up here real quick. Yeah. he um, Another guy did a test on it and shot it into a cinder block three times. And it came, it, it actually broke a hole through the cinder block. It's a titanium ferrule. And, uh, man, I was just extremely impressed. And they have one that's an inch and a half cut. So that kinetic energy is a lot higher, um, which is something that I... I always want two holes, so if there was a mechanical that's going to get me those, I, I want, I, I'd be willing to try it. Right. So, it's it's the age-old debate now that it's here. Um, I think, I think the one thing you can say is, is that you can, I think you can get pretty close to narrowing sever, down. Sever, sever broadheads. Sever broadheads, yeah. yep, that's the one. So those would be ones, and and they like I said earlier, they sell them as singles. So you can buy one broadhead for thirteen bucks, and they'll and ship it to you. And that set screw locks the blades in, so it yep. doubles as a practice head, which is huge because you're always shooting a fake blade or a fake broadhead. Well, like that's a sucky part. Like so, I shoot right now. I'm gonna try out the Rage tripans, yep. and then I also have Muzzy Trocars in my quiver. And so, like, for those, I basically have a set of blades that I use for practice, and I yep. have to swap them out. So, I mean, essentially just buying new broadheads just to practice with. So, it's kind of, they obviously took note of the uh, waste of broadheads that you yeah. do. <laughs> and and um, so, yeah, I'm really, yeah, I mean, it's just, if you can shoot a broadhead into a cinder block, it's... They, well, like, it's obviously going to hold up against the shoulder. The que- I guess the only question would be penetration, which I, you know, that's all going to come down to your poundage, arrow weight, and all that good stuff. So, the thing that I don't understand is, uh, is like if you, if you can get the same out of both both sides, meaning like a fixed, you're going to get field point accuracy. Um, you can you'll get the durability if you can get the same out of a out of a mechanical that's when it's like crap what do i decide to do here and that well that's the interesting part is like they're now that they're incorporating like titanium and that sort of stuff and digging a little deeper on the actual engineering like i think i think it's I the think only, it's the, really close. And the only thing is, as a consumer, we're getting we're going to start having to pay a few more Actually, bucks. Actually, well, and that's and I think that's what it breaks down to is, I mean, once, I guess, a really again, weight's a factor that your poundage that you're shooting, arrow yeah. weight, but it's, you know, a, a pass through is always, essentially, always going to trump, yeah, um, you know, a non non pass through, but. So I guess that's kind of like the cutting diameter 
Because that's the tough part. Like fixed blades, you're only ever going to really be able to get so big before you really are uh, kind of affecting your arrow. Well, you, you say that. I just watched a YouTube video the other night of a dude that shot a six-inch wide fixed blade out of a cannon to hit a hog. <laughs> out of a cannon? He shot it out of like this, like, uh, like a propelled cannon, this arrow with a six-inch broadhead. You got to watch the video. It is crazy. Well, but that's totally different than a bow. I know, it's not a bow. No, I, I get it. But on the gear topic, are you shooting any new gear this year? Is there anything on your bow that's new? Uh, the only new thing would be my spot hog sight. Okay. Which is... Um, that's a luxury item. Yeah, it was, I mean, it wasn't cheap. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it's tough to justify like that amount of money. Um, but so I, ha I basically went from a cheap True Glow five pin Ooh. that was like, you know, you had your little Allen key and then yeah. as soon as you unscrewed it, like, it dropped like, like, like good luck getting it back where you had it. <laughs> or, uh, like if you're like, man, I just need to go down a hair. Well, good luck just getting it to go down. Yeah, You got to use both yeah. hands and then yeah, have like, your wife so, come over. So I went from that. And the reason, the biggest reason I switched is because like, <clears throat> I just hit that point where I wanted to to expand my practice distance, basically take my shooting accuracy and just, I don't want to say challenge, but, you know, like shoot at 100 yards, when then when you shoot at 50, it's going to be basically the same distance, same difference as going from 50 yep. to 20. Yep. It, just, it just makes it that much easier. Um, you know, any little tiny move you're making at 100 is like super magnified to where yeah, it's just my like buddy says you might you not even a, be on the target. Oh yeah, like my buddy so, says you shoot a wing of a fly, you're going to be off the target. Yeah, and um, so that was like because my my previous five pin sight, just with how small the housing was and just you know my particular draw weight and length, um, I could only go back to. I could stretch it to sixty, but my bottom pin was so close to my float my level you can put the pin. i could i just barely <laughs> had enough room to actually like make out the bottom of the target underneath it yep. um so i really wasn't comfortable with that like yeah. i could do 50 um but wasn't comfortable trying to take a shot i did one and that was that was good so then it was you know and i was content with that and then um finally i just got to a point where i was able to take the plunge on the spot hog which is uh the Fast Eddie XL, which is a, it's a it's a single pin, quote unquote, but it has two actual fiber optic pins on it. Yeah. Um, and then so there's 15 yard difference <clears throat> between the two, and I mean, like while I'm in the stand, just on my initial setup, depending on what stand, obviously there's different yardages for stands, but I've went through shot different pin setups. I was originally gonna set up have it so it was like 20 and uh, like 35. Yeah. But actually, 30 to have it at 30 and like 45 works the best just with the way my bow shoots. Because yep. anything under 30 is so flat yep. that there's not much of a difference. So, um, so that's the best setup. I mean, and that's just on the fly. If a deer is just walking in, yeah, that's different. I mean, then you got plenty of time to move the pin. Um, I just can't believe like this year I, 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 I bought everything new. I got a new release, I got a new bow, I got a new sight, stabilizer, rest, arrows, broadheads. 
because I wanted to just start. I wanted the best that I could buy, and then be good for years, where I don't have to. I don't right. have to purchase the thing. But holy cow, is it expensive? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's, good yeah. Gear. Which and it is that, well, and that's like. I mean, there's definitely a lot of truth to what you're saying. So, because last year I bought my Hoyt Hyperforce, which was it was bright, it was a little salty. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you bought but, it brand new. Yeah. Okay. And then so I had that diamond before that, but the yep. comfort difference and just quote unquote shootability yep. difference between oh, the two bows. Like I'm con- totally content shooting this bow. For ten years, twelve. Well, I was 15. shooting my diamond. I mean, I, I say that obviously technology. Well, I mean, you're gonna I, get the it'll itch. really, it'll really have to hit a pivot because right, right now it's just slowly jumping up to like, like my, I think my IBO speed on the Hyperforce was like three thirty five or three forty. Okay. So like, it really hasn't progressed much from there. So I mean, it'll probably be ten or fifteen years till it's well, made a big enough <clears> jump <throat> that it's just yeah. like okay, that you can actually justify it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak out against your Hoyt, but when I when I switched Fair from enough. <laughs> when I shot I I got my diamond when I was 15, um, 15 or 16, somewhere in that range. Yeah, so you shot that 10 years. I, much, I yeah. shot that a while and shot a lot of deer with that bow, and actually I had no intention on buying a new bow because my dad always told me, and and I held it I held it as gospel truth. <clears throat> When he he said, it's going to take 10 or 15 years after buying this this diamond that there's going to be a technology bounce big enough to really merit a switch, which I agreed with him. So I bought at 26. I bought that tri, uh, the Triax at uh, 27. So I shot that for 10 years. I actually went into Lancaster Archery Supply, and on the way home from picking up feed for our chickens... Um, I said to at, which it's right down the road. I said to my wife, I was like, "Can we stop in here? I want to try because the new bows have just released." And I said, "Do you care if I shoot some of these new bows?" She said, "That's fine. We don't have the money for you to buy anything, so I don't <laughs> care what you do." <clears throat> so I went in there. I went in there wanting to um, not like Matthews, and I wanted to like a Hoyt. So I shot the Hoyt. I think it was like the RX one. Is that is that one of the Hoyts? Well, that was last last year's, yeah. Yeah, like they're they're top of the line. Yeah, because this year's the RX. It's like the Red Works or whatever yeah, they call it. Yep. So I shot that, and I was like, okay, that that felt different than my diamond, but to me, I was like, that wasn't enough for yeah. me to merit spending, after getting all the accessories, almost two grand. So the guy, the the tech there, goes to me. He's like, well, tr- try shooting this Triax. He said, take a shot with the Hoyt. I'll have the tri- the Triax ready for you to shoot with an arrow in it. You switch bows with me, take a shot. <clears throat> I shot that bow and was speechless. I Like, it's literally, it's one of the first, it, it is the first bow I've ever shot where if you were holding it, or if I was holding it and you released the bow for me, it, it'd be like, almost like a kind of hard to discern whether or not it went off. Cause that's, that's how, true. That's yeah. how little hand shock there was, and you shot it tonight. I was actually was because well, I can't remember for sure, but I'm pretty sure like the draw cycle is what people really raved about with that. Yeah, and I feel like our draw cycles are really similar. They're close. I, yeah, I don't I think there's a ton of I difference. I couldn't pick up a difference on that, <laughs> um, but I will say like the 
the post shot like it oh goodness they're dead in the hand it's um, it's it was, butter so but uh hey it just you know i'll convert you i doubt it but. <laughs> i'm wearing a hoyt hat though so yeah. i'm closer to your side than you yeah. are to mine but it's uh <clears throat> after, after shooting my buddy's helix <laughs> that was pretty nice because is it does it come dr- close to the triax it's I would I would even say that the Matthews is that triax is still more dead in the hand after the shot um, but his draw cycle is like I wasn't joking in the last last podcast when I said like I was just so dumbfounded at how it's smooth. just like it, it was unbelievably smooth now granted like he shoots 65 pounds that so makes a difference five pounds less but still 65 yeah, pounds, yeah, yeah. and you're like it's <clears throat> It's it's, I mean, just it's almost hard to describe. Like it's just silky smooth. Yeah. Like it just is straight back. Whereas, you know, ours I feel like you know. There's that. There's it, that. There's it that. Let you know there's breaks. something there. Yeah, yeah. It breaks. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> I'd I'd like I'd be interested to know what did what what was so the season starts tomorrow for this for us. I'm gonna put you in one of my stands. And yeah. uh, well, you've been rolling for a while now. Yeah. So. Well. We five C opened for us two weeks ago, and luckily I got I uh, I got one of my bucket list items off. So I had three three bucket list items in hunting. That the the bucket list is going to get bigger as they as they go away. But it was I wanted to shoot a deer on the very first day of early season, shoot a Pope and young buck, and shoot a deer on the very last day of late season. <clears throat> so I shot. Uh, two sure. weeks ago. You're on your own on that one. That's usually too cold for me. For late season. Yeah. <clears throat> that my dad's got that Cabela's like stand hunter. I'm, and that I'm I'll say it, I'm a sissy when it comes uh, to cold weather. If there's a if there's an but opportunity I'm not afraid to admit it. Like I'm not If there's an opportunity to put meat in the freezer, I'm gonna sit in that stand at least for two hours. At least. That's fair. I could do two hours. Yeah. But uh I got that though two weeks ago. So we're going to go back to that stand. Um, but what I'd like to know is, out of just spending time in the woods, what what was done by you to prep for the season? Were you shooting? What, shot, what were you listening to? I what were you watching? a lot. Yeah? Because like, shoot well, and shooting um, the last couple of years, I mean, it, really since you and I started hunting together in college, like I think that probably sparked it for both of us. It's just fun to shoot. Um, which... I mean, like, I hunted with my dad growing up and family, but, like, I never really hunted with somebody else. And, I mean, you and I were, <clears throat> even though we didn't get to hunt together a lot. Yeah, but all we did was talk about it. I mean, that's all it. we talked about. Yeah. We watched, you got, we watched Bow Hunter think. die. Yeah. Um, so, like, that was, like, that was the start of, like, the hunting community fellowship part of it. So, yeah. that's what really took off for me. Um, so, ever since then, like, I was, like, basically just constantly kind of sunk in the podcast while I'm driving and stuff like that so um but shooting was definitely the biggest like week area um so this year I just kind of sunk into that after getting a new bow last year um it's just because I mean really all it boils down to like if shooting is your biggest issue it's just a matter of putting time in oh yeah um it's it becomes second nature and target panic was like a pretty a pretty major issue. Like there was times where it was so bad. Like I was what just, is that? Feel? So like I hear people talk about this. Um, I know what it is, 
But what, like, does what is it? What is it? Just like, does it feel to you like just lack of control? Like your body's just no. doing something you well, don't want it like, to do? Like some people, like if you hear people who have anxiety talk about anxiety, like yeah. it's just truly something they can't control. Like uh-huh. it's, it's like that. Like it's weird. Um, like, so what? Your so your pin hits the target, and you're yeah, like, oh crap! Soon, I gotta pull it. As soon as your pin touches that spot where you want, yeah, like you're just rip boom. it, and it's. And I don't know, and I think that some of it is just because it's so easy with the finger. Yep. Um, and that's why you want to go to back tension. And that's... But, well, and I've kind of... I don't want to say I've completely eliminated that. Like, I've eliminated it to the point to where it's noticeable. Like, I think probably as long as I shoot a wrist strap release, yep. like, it's always going to be there. Because yeah. it's not... You can't do anything in terms of, like, a natural follow-through right. with a wrist strap. At least I can't. Well, yeah. Um, so that's... Um, so you were putting in reps. So <laughs> we were putting in reps, and actually, oddly enough, um, my buddy Andy, who also is on Vertex Outdoors, um, we went... I ne- had never done a, a techno hunt before this year. Okay. For, yeah. We didn't go together? <laughs> no. No, like I okay. just always shot, like I've shot at some 3D targets yep. and stuff like that, but, um, <clears throat> you know, I was kind of the cliche person that just goes out, like, you know, a month or two before the season starts, yep. and that's when I'll start shooting. Um, so, so, but it was, what, May? End of May, towards the end of May, and it's just like, okay, let's, because usually, like, spring, like, as soon as spring hits, I'm fishing mode where yeah. it's like see I don't fish but now but but because I got a bow that's comfortable to shoot and I actually enjoy shooting a little more yeah um it's just like okay let's go shoot so we went and did a techno hunt and <laughs> you know like first it's like it's it really is a weird anxiety that's hard to describe but like you know first couple shots you're just jumping on it and <laughs> you're, you're like making terrible shots and it's just like you know instant feedback like when you're actually getting to see it on a screen on yep. a live animal, it's a lot different um, feedback than when you're just looking at yeah. a target. So, so that was oddly enough, I would have never guessed it, but that helped me settle in because, like, huh. it's just like, you know, naturally the competitive nature. He's there just plugging away. I he's, can't keep pulling this trigger. I gotta whoop him. He's, you know, he's plugging <clears> away. <throat> uh, I mean, shoot. Last last year he won the league, so Oh did he? It's just like I can't let this I gotta meet this guy. I can't let this new guy you know, yeah. new, new to bow hunting and shooting, <laughs> I can't let him show me up. And I mean I'll say it, the, the, he can shoot. Can he? Andy, don't let it go to your head. Yeah. Um he can shoot. Yeah. Um uh, which you know, it's kinda nice when you don't have You might a, have to have a shoot off me and this yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. Tell him to come down to my streets. Maybe we'll just get Maybe we'll just get a big get together. We'll yeah. do a big uh, little. Well, we could go to the range we just went to tonight. That's um, not far enough, though. I uh, want to see the true test of a man out to like eighty. He can shoot, Kenny. Yeah, um, but anyway, we don't. I don't want to blow his head up too big right now. <laughs> uh, we can delete that part out of the yeah. podcast. So, but no. Um, so we started doing the techno hunt and. You know, as as I was going through it, like I was forced to slow myself down. Yeah. Because otherwise, like you just <laughs> you were putting terrible shots. Yeah. Um, so that helped a lot. So like we were doing that, and then I, like we were doing techno hunt once a week, 
and then in between like we just got into the schedule of um you know like we'd shoot in the mornings shoot in the mornings and then either run or lift okay together um yeah okay so over the summer it works out great because how early it gets daylight yeah um so we it just naturally flowed into just just shooting and it, like <clears throat> i could very noticeably see myself overcome target target panic and i was actually getting better at shooting amazing how it works yeah. like when you shoot more you get better at it oh but, who would have thought um so it just like developed into like boom like we're we went from shooting you know maybe one or two days a week now we're shooting three or four and then it like some weeks i'd shoot every day dang it might not you know it might only be well five arrows that's five more arrows than most exactly and that's the thing like if it's just all about that form like actually um like you know for a while it was just like every time i'd draw back i would force my like have to force myself to slow down yeah um but then you know you do that long enough and you break the habit and like now it's pretty well all gone like yeah. every once in a while you know it'll rear its ugly head yeah, your brain big, hey. yeah it's got grooves in it that um, just wants to go back but actually well because like uh so as i began to progress and stuff like i changed the setting on my release and uh like it's funny how some stuff will just set you off to go back into your old habits like yeah um like i drew back accidentally bumped the release oh geez and um sent sent the air <laughs> luckily like we were we were at the archery shop and there was a backstop for the target because yep. it just cleared everything because i drew drew back um and you weren't even close wasn't even target. wasn't even settled in like i actually drew back bumped off the back wall because <laughs> i went, went a little too hard but <laughs> so then it just like sent i accidentally bumped that release and then uh it was truly, truly a surprise release. Oh yeah! And then, so then after that, I was like all worked up. So then, like after that, I really had to settle myself down and stuff like that. But so you said you were you were lifting. So yeah. that's something that I, I, like don't know how much of a role it plays. Like I, I, I enjoy, like my wife and I are big on on health. Um, like we have our own garden, we had our own chickens, we were doing meat rabbits, um, and that played a role in wanting to be healthy with like cardio and muscular type stuff. But I struggle with the the fact that we're we're stand hunters in the Northeast. So like, what are your th- like how how important is it? Well, I, well, and I think that's the difference of our hunting scenarios. Like, so you're hunting small prop, like you're not you're not getting physically exhausted uh-uh. walking twenty yards in into a yeah. property or the whatever. furthest walk i yeah. have is like 100 yards so like that's the thing whereas like you know up by us uh we've really been pursuing which maybe maybe the fitness aspect drives it um like i mean i'm definitely like the <clears throat> application of fitness to hunting um you know maybe drives me to actually want to go deeper Oh yeah, if that makes sense. You want a you want a bigger so, adventure. So so like like we already hunted some mountain stuff and it like obviously it sucks like when you get in there and you walk like a mile in. Well even even some of the other properties we hunt because it's just you know might be a steep incline or whatever. 
Um, like, yeah, we get in there fine. You know, it's not like we're out doing backcountry hunts, yeah. putting miles in a day, but it's just like, if I'm... It gives you ability if to I'm get back fit, in. And, like, the more fit I am, <clears throat> the less I have to actually work to, say, get up a hill, walk a mile in, what have you. Yeah. You know, that translates to less sweat and that sort of thing, so... And fatigue, uh, so pulling not, your bow not back. only not only am I not sweating, not smelling as bad, but like for me, I get cold pretty easy. So then, um, you know, more sweat yep. leads to me getting yep. colder quicker and that sort of thing. So it's just, um, you know, I don't even like. I mean, we hunt some places where we go a couple miles in, but even then, it's just like anybody could get there. Yeah, it's just a matter uh, but it's of... Just, it's just more of a comfort and maybe a pride thing. Like, hey, like I want to be able to get back there. Um, no problems. Like, basically get back there, do what I need to do. All right, so I, our other segment got <laughs> cut off because we hit the uh, recording deadline. So it's safe to say we could probably go for a couple hours. Um, but one thing I definitely wanted to hit on, um, you know, while we're here in the flesh, and uh, you had the... A unique scenario last year one thing like it was one thing i shared on our instagram page for people to take advantage of um so i mean here it is night before uh you know statewide archery season opens so i think it's another good opportunity to hit on it um but yeah so last year you hit a buck um i'll just let you share the story um yeah but go ahead so um the deer I shot last year, uh, this is at the 26 acres that I have from the guy that's at my church. Um, I had uh, pr- one of the coolest encounters in the rut. Um, in PA, deer aren't as vocal, I would guess I would say. I mean, I'm saying that without ever even hunting in uh, really any other states other than North Carolina. Um, but, I mean, I... I rarely hear buck running um, or any kind of snort wheezing or anything like that. I mean, I've heard it, but not not often. Um, But last year I had a a nice eight-pointer come in uh, on top of this uh, big hill, and I'm I'm hunting at the bottom of it, and uh, shot a grunt at him, and he was kind of interested in what's going on, kind of tensed up, flexed a little bit. But then was like, okay, uh, there was a there was a doe in the area, which actually I had just missed her, uh, like a minute before that. And I texted my wife. I was like, I am so frustrated because we need to meet. I said, I am so frustrated. I just missed this doe. And she sent me a text and she said, Don't worry, that's because God wants to give you the the, the big one. I, I literally turn around from that text. I see this buck up on the hill. I'm like, All right. Well, let's take advantage of this. Dang, God, you, yeah. <laughs> you answered that quick. Yep, do your thing. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I grab my grunt tube, throw a grunt at him, postures up at me, doesn't do anything with it. Starts to turn the other way, and I snort wheeze at him. And he turns and looks down, at, down the hill and starts booking. I mean, runs down the hill. Um, and he, at that point, he was about 40 yards up from me. Runs down the hill. So I, I, I put my stuff back and I, I sit, I got my bow ready and I'm looking to my right and then he starts to go behind me. I'm like, crap, he's going to win me. Um, 
So I start to turn to my left extremely slow. And then like a minute goes by and he didn't, he didn't show up. I'm like, what the heck is this deer doing? So I turn to my right and I'm thinking, I'm going to spook this deer. He's on my right. He's going to see me moving. I was in a tree that was not very good. It was out in the open. And then he's back up the hill where he came from originally. I was like, that little booger. So I throw one more grunt at him and, and he sprints down again. Because I think he was, he was, he was ready he was to mad at that point. He oh, was yeah. like, I was just down there and looked and you weren't there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he comes down and then stays on my right side, goes down in front of my stand, keeps peeking up at me, knows something's up. Because I, I was an like, eyesore. Like actually looking at you in the stand. Yep. Yeah, yep. I was an eyesore. There's no branches to give me cover, but it was the only tree on this major trail that I could climb. So finally, he goes about 15 yards away, goes behind a big tree, gives me a chance to draw back. I draw back. He steps out, and I take the shot and whack him. And I'm, I was thinking, man, I drilled that deer. And I started to re, like just rethink what happened. Um, and I was like, man, I may have hit that deer a little far back because I lined up off of his shoulder and not his body, and he was in mid-step. So his leg was all the way back. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get out. I saw him run about a hundred yards away and bed down in some deep brush. So I, I, I texted the guy who owns the property said, Hey, I, I got to wait for this deer. He said, come over for breakfast. I go over and eat, go back out, try to seek blood. This is like three hours later. I, I took a good bit of time and kicked the deer out of his bed. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, definitely a liver shot, probably some gut. I didn't see any guts. Um, so I wait till that night. I have a buddy of mine, Andrew, come down from Quakertown to help me track this deer. From where we, where I kicked him, he went about another 150 yards and then blood was gone. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do. So I texted a, another buddy of mine. He said, well, deer tracking... Uh, with dogs this year is legal. So I was like, okay, well, who can I go after? And he sent me a text message from a guy in Leesport, which is like up by the Cabela's. And uh, so I, I called him up. This is at like nine at night. And he said, I can be there first thing in the morning. So I, I actually called off work in the morning, went out, met this guy at the property. And uh, man, was that the experience that was almost as cool of an experience as shooting my big buck he got out of the car he was all business kind of like just where did three, you shoot three-piece suit and the dog's like ready to go you could tell like he knew so, he was there to... so somebody connected you with him yep is how you found him yeah okay. so he owns uh, i think it's called peacock kennels which is right outside of redding in leaseport and he owned a dog that was like a world champion in blood tracking, but she actually lost her sense of smell. So he was training this new dog and he gets out of the car, asks me all these questions. Where'd you shoot this deer? What did he do after your shot? What kind of broadhead were you using? How far was the shot? What was the, I mean, just so many questions to get a bigger picture for him and his dog. So he's as we're walking up to the stand he's like as we get up to the stand explain to me what happened everything so that we can get in there and, and not leave a ton of scent so i i set him up and and he puts the dog on there now the rule in pa is that dog has to be on a leash right. and um so he's got like a, a 40 50 foot yeah, long leash yeah. 
And uh, so he's like, I'm going to let the dog go and do his thing. And he's like, I've been working with this dog long enough where I'll know if he's off the blood. So just follow me. And man, as soon as he, he said to that dog, go, it was like that dog went from my stand to where that deer bedded 100 yards away in like 40 seconds yeah. to 40 seconds to a minute, whatever. So we are booking through these woods. He sits down right where the bed was. So I was like, okay, this dog knows what he's doing. Yeah. And uh, so then I tell him we found blood. We, we followed it this way. So he lets the dog go again. And what we did was uh, the night before we left an arrow in the ground where I found last blood, which was about 150 to 200 yards away from that bed. Right. That dog went from the bed to that in like three minutes, just straight to it. No issue. So when we lost blood, the guy said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to let the dog do his thing. And if he can find him, I'll know if he's still on blood. If not, we'll go back to the arrow and try again. So from that area, uh, arrow, that dog was on blood. And we, we went like probably 300 yards or more. And this deer went out into a pine tree field, turned right up a hill, and then went 30 or 40 yards up a hill and went in tall grass and bedded down and, and was dead right there. Dog found it. and I, so, the was, time, so was there blood leading to that or the dog? No, they the just dog scented called. it. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So from the, from the time that we left my stand from where I shot it to when we found that deer, so I had been looking for hours from... It, he that dog found that deer in like ten minutes, I'll say, yeah. whatever. So it was it was awesome. Had you listened? Had you heard any pod before your experience with that? Had you heard any podcasts about? Not a thing. Well, no, because that was well, yeah, that was not even another. That was States. the year that it was legalized yeah. and all that. Now it's become. I've heard. Have you heard any since? Uh yeah, a few. Yeah. And I guess the rule now is is they can't accept pay, but they can right. take tips. Yeah, yep. So I tipped him. But man, it was, and, and I said to him, I said, why do you do this? I, I said, you're driving all the way out here to find a deer for me. And there's no guarantee of money. Yeah. And he said, that feeling that you get when you shoot a buck yeah. yep. is the feeling I get when my dog finds a deer, except I find, I get my, I get my deer 90% of the time. You only get it. You have to sit 20 times to shoot your one deer. <laughs> I was like, who are you talking to? Oh, man. No, it was cool. Well, because, uh, so, I'm trying to think if that was, that was like over the winter I got, went to like a little QDMA uh-huh. get together and there was a guy who came and spoke and he had just, just actually got <laughs> into it. Like since, since I legalized it, like he, he was already planning on getting a dog to just train for it um but got a dog trained it like still kind of new to the process but even he was able to actually go out and help some people recover animals and it's just like i mean it really is incredible just i mean you know all we get to go off of is our is our site and you know as soon as that blood trail runs out yeah we're screwed uh, like some of the different podcast like podcasts that i've listened to like with deer biologists and stuff in it, like once a deer's wounded, their scent glands will give off like this different scent than what they might normally give. Yeah. And then based on a dog's ability to, to smell in layers, essentially. Yeah, you know, dog, like that the be- dog. The, the best example is if you're making a soup, 
you know, you might put an onion in there, you might put a pepper in there, and then you put it all together. Well, we walk in a room and we smell soup. When a dog walks in a room, they're, sm- they're smelling the onion, they're smelling oh, the yeah. pepper, they smell the potatoes. <laughs> That's and crazy. they they differentiate all that. So yep. it's um, yeah, it's it's very cool. Super. I mean, I couldn't be happier that Pennsylvania legalized that. I didn't just, see a reason why um, we should, but Pennsylvania's always slow. Well, to... it's not. It's yeah. I mean, it's just. I mean, it's not even really something that I ever thought. Of. I'm. I never really knew people did that per se. Yeah, Maryland's been on it for a while because that's um, where this guy's been doing it. Yeah, and he's, like, I call, you know, I follow some of the Pennsylvania, hunting pages on Facebook yep. and. He was kind of a guy that was constantly showing up, yep. which is how I had even found out about the story. Because yep. I think I, I screenshotted the Facebook photo because he shared it and sent it to you. And I was like, what is this? Yep. Um, <laughs> so it was it was a treat. I I would be less inclined to to do it unless it was a real respectful buck. Not because I, I don't want to give the game, the, but to make him come all the way out there, it, you feel kind of bad. Because he he drove an hour and fifteen yeah. minutes, so it's kind of a double edged sword. You want to find that's your kinda, deer. Well, a lot. I mean, that's the thing. A lot of them like really don't mind. Yeah. Like, it truly. It's yeah. Just like, I drive two hours to go hunting. Yeah. So it's that's just true. Like, like it's the same same thing. Like. But yeah, it was um, uh, it was an experience. I really, I, I'll always remember. That's one of like there's certain hunting things in your life that you'll never forget. Like, uh, there's deer I remember that I shot. For some reason, they stick out over anything else. And that experience era is up there with the big buck. So definitely. Well, and that's then that's I guess that's the other side of the coin too. Is like if you shoot something and don't find it, like those are usually the ones that hang with you too. Is if there's an animal that you're not able to recover. Yep. So it's just it eats you. A lot. I don't know. That's something that I am. <clears throat> I don't want to say adamant about, but it, I'm just very appreciative of. Like I definitely believe. And, like, we owe the respect to the animal to make yep. every effort to try and find... I mean, like... And that's the thing. Even the first year that they started doing it, um, there was only a handful of guys in Pennsylvania. And I went on I went on to uh, United Blood Trackers Association. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody who doesn't know about it right now that's listening, you can go on their website, Google it, whatever. Uh, if you go to their website... Uh, you can click basically by state, and it'll show you everybody that's registered through them. Yep. And I went on and double checked it this year. Ton. I mean, there must be there's hundreds. And 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 last and, year there's and, probably and like it'll it'll tell you where they're located. It'll tell you their phone number. Um, so I mean, my recommendation obviously tomorrow's the opener, but you know it's definitely a good thing to have in the back of your mind because I know one thing they like to say is if you think just through listening from podcasts and stuff. Like, if you think you made a questionable shot... Get out of there. Just get out of there. The worst yep. thing you can do is go walking around, laying more scent on yep. the ground. It's just going to throw the dog off. That's exactly what he told me. Um, so, and that, and that's, a, like, it's... I think at this point, now, now that it's legal and there's so many people out there, like, you know, if you're... You know, if you think you're back in the gut area, it's just... I don't know. My notion is to I would sooner just call somebody at this point because because it's more available now. Yeah. Like last year might have been in a thing because really, yeah, well, he had to drive an hour and a half. Yeah, there was only a handful of people. But this year it might be I could um, call a guy in Denver and he's gonna yeah, be on there it. Probably is one. So it's just like <clears throat> you know, if you think you made a questionable hit, like 
back out, take the time, look up the phone number, make make the call. Um, you know, and some of the go- some of those guys are so experienced, like the guy that you worked with. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them have enough experience and are, you know, haunted enough that it's just like, okay, ran me through what the deer did. Yeah. When you shot. And let me go. Um, let me do my thing. You know, and that yeah, they might say, well, you might be able to find it or whatever. Like, yeah. You know. Um, like the Drurys, they have their their uh, Deercast app um, on there. I've listened to a podcast with him. They're coming out with a thing like based on where you hit the deer, how it reacts. Like it'll tell you like wait times and wow. stuff like that. So, huh. so that's all good. <clears throat> but you know, obviously, you need a blood trail to be able to yep. get there. So that's just yeah. Anybody who um, happens to listen to this, if you make a questionable shot this year. Um, you know, United Blood Trackers Association, they have all the web, or uh, not websites, but all the contacts listed for, um, you know, the, the guys with dogs in Pennsylvania. And those yeah. are just the registered ones. Um, I know one story of, a, you know, some, some people that own the neighboring property where we hunt last year. Um, they had hit a buck, couldn't find it. They ended up taking their own dog out. Uh, like it, it, you know, it, since it wasn't trained, they didn't get it to it right away, but, yeah. but the dog eventually oh, led them to it. So, it so yeah, I mean, they're, they know what they're doing. They, oh, might, yeah. they might live in the house for all the time, but they, they still got some other, uh, natural tracking ability. Yep. So, so yeah, just wanted to touch on that. Um, best of luck to everybody going out until this actually airs. It'll be probably into the season. Well, you, definitely will be since tomorrow is, opens yeah. it, but hopefully um, everyone shot something. Yeah, hopefully, uh, us. hopefully the year is full of uh, big bucks and bloody truck beds. <laughs> <laughs> All right, later. We'll see you.